This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. Hello, I'm Glenn Wheeler. Welcome to episode 278, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. As more and more governments restrict or even kick out fish farms, the global aquaculture industry is looking to Newfoundland and Labrador. If the companies get their way, fish farms will occupy the entire south coast. Despite overwhelming scientific evidence about the environmental damage caused by fish farms, the provincial government is an industry cheerleader not to mention source of subsidies. The Fury government is so all-in that they're supporting fish farms over a marine conservation area that Parks Canada wants to establish to protect the South Coast fjords. The facts about fish farms. That was the subject of an online public forum hosted by EnviroWatch NL. This week, we bring you some highlights. You'll hear from the authors of the book Salmon Wars, Catherine Collins and Douglas France, Bob Chamberlain, chair of the First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance in BC, and Neville Crabb of the Atlantic Salmon Federation, moderated by EnviroWatch co-chair Tara Manuel and by yours truly. First, we hear from Catherine Collins and Doug France on the financial and environmental cost of fish farms and the very small number of jobs created. We look across the entire world here, um, you see governmental resistance to these open net and salmon farms in many places, as you said, and as Catherine said, but in Newfoundland in particular, they have been welcomed with open arms. And at every turn, the government has not only bent over backwards to provide them with licenses and provide them with access to more and more of that beautiful coastline that we all love, but they've invested millions and millions of taxpayer dollars in this industry. At the same time, it's destroying the environment that makes Newfoundland and Labrador what they are. And and it doesn't provide that many jobs. It really doesn't. In terms of the wild fish industry, which is a a large and important industry in the province, it's the reason the province was founded, compared to that aquaculture is really just a sliver. Yes, it is. And, And this is one of the things that the industry says all the time, but we bring you jobs and you guys need jobs. Well, that's true. Newfoundland needs jobs. Nova Scotia needs jobs. But we don't need bad jobs. We don't need jobs that destroy other marine uh, businesses and other fisheries. And the numbers are not that great. I've looked at um, the Newfoundland. I know in Nova Scotia, they only employ about 250 people uh, province-wide. Compare that to the number of people who work in the lobster industry. But I pulled a Nova Scotia, uh, Newfoundland document today, a labor document, that said that the seafood industry employed 17,500 people throughout Newfoundland and Labrador, but only 579 work in aquaculture. Another Newfoundland study put that number closer to 300. And disturbingly, those jobs aren't great jobs. They were the annual salary. Median income is something like 19,000. Yeah. Yes, yes. These are, they are the government's statistics. 
Not only do fish farms create few jobs, they harm one of the most lucrative fisheries in Atlantic Canada, lobster. Doug and Catherine said there are things that lobster fishers should know about fish farms. What they need to know is the same thing that lobster fishermen need to know here in Nova Scotia. And, and there is a growing awareness in Nova Scotia of this problem. The open net pen salmon farms dump pesticides, antibiotics, and other chemicals into the water. As far back as 2015, Canadian government scientists have shown that these chemicals harm lobsters and other marine life. A DF, DFO study in 2022 of plans to expand uh, salmon farming here in Liverpool Bay in Nova Scotia warned that chemical pollution from salmon farms can spread as far as 3.8 kilometers. And so it gets into the water column and it spreads and it's toxic to lobsters, toxic to other shellfish. And those chemicals, they combine, if they stay, if they don't get dispersed, if you have a low water, a low current around your, around your salmon farms, the chemicals go to the bottom where they combine with excrement and excess feed from the farms to create a toxic stew on the seabed. And this stew depletes oxygen and it produces dissolved sulfides and ammoniums. And these conditions damage and drive away lobsters and other marine life. There was a fascinating study here that was reported in a peer-reviewed uh, paper in 2018. I should preface this by saying lobsters locate food, they identify mates and predators, and choose where to live and breathe based on odors. The plumes from salmon farms drive them away. And the proof of this is in the paper done in 2018 by a researcher at Dalhousie University named Inka Maluski and other marine biologists. And they published this paper, paper on the impact of a single small salmon farm on lobsters in Port Mattoon Bay on the south coast of Nova Scotia. Fifteen lobstermen reported their catches from 2007 to 2018. And what those reports showed was that lobster catches had dropped by 42% and the number of egg-bearing lobsters had declined by 56%. And if you compare salmon farming with lobstering in Newfoundland or Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island or New Brunswick, our economies depend far more heavily on lobsters than they do on salmon farms. And in, for instance, one of the places we visited um, was Harbor Breton in Newfoundland, where we went out, we went out on a boat with Gary Snook, who's a lobsterman, and Gary had seen these impacts there, and he was concerned that he's getting near retirement age, and he was concerned that his the boats and the license in which he'd invested his life savings were not going to be worth as much because of declining catches. So this has a real-world impact, and it's something that governments just choose to ignore. I mean, Newfoundland's got its head in the sand on this problem, and Nova Scotia, unfortunately, is no better, and New Brunswick may, in fact, be worse. Bob Chamberlain says the pesticides combined with excrement and uneaten food creates a toxic stew harmful to crustaceans. And, you know, the concern about where does the pesticides, where do the chemicals, where do the antibiotics go, is very real. Because what we 
have is not just the waste from the fish. And if you talk to anyone that runs a hatchery, fish poop is pretty significant. And so when you think about that in terms of half a million fish in a farm, it's a lot of material. But then there's the uneaten food that gets out. And then it is already very ripe and full with whatever they're putting in, whether it's a, uh, you know, uh, an antibiotic or a pesticide. And this is something when I learned, um, there's a product called Slice. And the active ingredient to kill sea lice is called emamectin benzoate. And I couldn't believe when I read, when I found out that this interrupts the growth cycle of crustaceans, because that's what a sea lice is. So we have crustaceans out here on, in BC. We have crabs and prawns and so on. And out east, you've got the lobster, which is the foundation of the massive economy that contributes to every coastal community, as far as I understand. Sea lice have plague fish farms around the world, and the industry has looked to non-chemical fixes. One is the introduction of lumpfish to consume the sea lice. But as Doug explained, that move has created a second environmental catastrophe. Two things. Lumpfish were introduced first in Norway to deal with the sea lice problem there. And about two years ago, when we were looking deeply into it, 150,000 lumpfish a day die in salmon farms in Norway. They die because they get eaten by the salmon in those farms. They die from diseases of their own. If you look at this from an animal welfare standpoint, you're killing a species of fish, a pelagic fish, to save this fish to put on our dinner tables. That is the very definition of a harm industry. And that brings it back to Newfoundland because there's a team of anthropologists at Memorial University led by a professor named Dean Bavington who wrote a paper a few years ago and it was about how industrialized aquaculture is a harm industry akin to tobacco and fossil fuels. And that is the sense in the sense that they ignore the environment, they ignore public health and environmental health and other damages to produce their profit-making product. It's in fossil fuels, you can see it very really. In tobacco industry, you can see it. The problem with aquaculture is so much of this happens below the surface and people just don't understand what's going on. This is a harm industry, same as fossil fuels and tobacco. Neville Crabb of the Atlantic Salmon Federation says his organization is putting more resources into stopping the expansion of fish farms in Newfoundland and Labrador, which he says is ground zero in the fight by the global industry to stay in operation despite the extreme environmental fallout in particular to wild salmon. Not just a factor, Glenn, but a major driver of decline. And if if I seem a little nervous speaking to the audience that's out there tonight, it's because the stakes couldn't be higher for wild Atlantic salmon. You know, but as what has precipitated this forum, um, you know, what's behind this discussion is the fact that the province of Newfoundland and Labrador is considering allowing one of the largest expansions of this industry in Canadian history from Bay de Spear over to Port Basque, covering a massive swath of the south coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. Doug and Catherine, 
reference the research on aquaculture and its characterization as a harm industry. And a feature of a harm industry is the injection of doubt and denial. We still see that, you know, as recently as this week here in New Brunswick, where another salmon escape was reported, we have officials from Cook Aquaculture saying, we simply raise native Atlantic salmon. Well, not the case at all. These are genetically distinct animals, selectively bred over generations and generations and generations to the point where they are visibly different from their wild cousins. The impacts are demonstrated, they're significant, and there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever. We've focused a lot on the role of of DFO, and in, in many ways, the role of, of DFO has been, you know, at worst, reprehensible, at best, disappointing. But the key decision makers for us in Atlantic Canada are our provincial premiers. You know, whether or not this industry can expand in Newfoundland and Labrador and wreak havoc on wild Atlantic salmon populations from Bay to Spear to Port of Basque on Atlantic herring populations, that decision lies in the premier's office as it does here in New Brunswick, as it does in Nova Scotia. We've, we've seen it time and time again in Atlantic Canada, wherever the industry exists, wild Atlantic salmon populations that are adjacent to the industry are assessed as threatened or endangered by the Committee on the Status of Endangered Wildlife in Canada. And we've identified three major pathways why that's occurring. It is escapes, it's parasites, and it's disease. And arguably nowhere in the world is the situation worse than it is right now on the south coast of Newfoundland. Alarming, uh, Neville, to, when you put it in those terms. Um, it's uh, We're dealing with a critical situation, critical, critical choices. Um, the Atlantic Seven Federation... Uh, I understand has increased its presence in Newfoundland and Labrador. Many people will know the name Donna Ivany, who's been um, uh, well known for speaking about salmon issues over the years. But uh, I understand you've increased ASF resources in um, in the province. Uh, tell us about that. Well, you know, perhaps for people that that don't know about us. Um, the Atlantic Salmon Federation was founded in 1948, and our mission can be summed up in four simple words, wild salmon and wild rivers. It's the protection of wild fish and the protection of the environment. Aquaculture isn't the only issue we deal with. We have programs going from southern Maine to the west coast of Greenland, but where the industry is present, it is a very, very significant concern for wild Atlantic salmon and the south coast of Newfoundland in the world right now is is ground zero for those impacts and and that's why we're focused on that expansion and we've had a lot of discussions about this internally Uh, we've had strong arguments back and forth and where we sit today is that until the government of Canada 
until the provinces in Atlantic Canada can prove that they have met our country's international obligations, which are to reduce harms from parasites that drift out of the cages by the billions, to eliminate escapes from the cages, which happen by the millions around the North Atlantic every year. There is no license, social or economical, for this industry to expand in our region. And that's where the Atlantic Salmon Federation is today. And we are willing to bring whatever resources we have, whatever knowledge we've gained over 75 years of conservation, and whatever strength and, and will we have to protect wild salmon and wild rivers, we're willing to bring that to bear on the south coast of Newfoundland. The stakes for Indigenous people are especially profound, since wild salmon are part of culture and tradition, not only food. For Mi'kmaq, for the Sami people in Norway, or for Indigenous people on the Pacific coast, the wild salmon connect us to the ancestors. Bob Chamberlain talked about the importance of the wild salmon to his people. I think back to when I first became elected chief of my nation, the Kwekwesutenukhwapmis, um, that was in 2005. And our people had been fighting the fish farms in our territory for almost two decades before I started. And so for the past going on, this would be 19th year fighting to protect salmon. And the most uh, likely source of impact that we've identified is the open net pen fish farms. This doesn't absolve logging companies from what they've done in the watersheds. It doesn't absolve um, and for its impacts all along the Fraser River, but it is something that we can reach out and change to benefit salmon. Now, our people, we have a very rich culture. I'm one of our traditional singers, and I've been involved in our culture my entire life. And for us, the uniqueness of salmon is represented within our culture by the salmon dances bestowed upon the twins of a family. And because that, you know, back when our culture was first becoming, twins were more rare than uh, what we may see today for a variety of reasons. Um, but it was one way that we could show how special it was. And it wasn't simply a dance. Uh, wild salmon um, are who we are as people. It is the basis of our culture. It's the basis of our traditions. It's the basis of our relationship to the watersheds and the forest. And of course, I could spend quite a few minutes speaking about Section 35.1 rights in the Supreme Court of Canada and the UN Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People. These are all foundational to this thing we call democracy in Canada. And what we're seeing is the government walking away from the foundations of this country to support an industry that has very little economic benefit, as uh, has already been spoken of. While the Indigenous-led resistance has made some progress in BC, there's an extra hurdle in Atlantic Canada. Here is the provinces and not the federal government who have the final say. Catherine says the Atlantic premiers have circled the wagons to protect fish farms. There's a constitutional irregularity in Canada. The, DA, the, the federal government regulates the fisheries on the West Coast. On the East Coast, the fisheries are considered, these salmon farms are considered agricultural and they're under the control of the province. 
this is part of the reason that BC has been able to make some progress, whereas our four provincial premiers have doubled down on this filthy industry. And we are not making progress and we're in real danger. If they do succeed in closing down the fish farms in BC, where do you think those, far- those companies are going to go? They're going to go to Newfoundland and Nova Scotia mm-hmm. and New Brunswick. This is, this oh. is something we have to deal with as a country. That was Catherine Collins closing out our highlights of the online forum, The Facts About Fish Farms, hosted by EnviroWatch NL. We also heard from her co-author of Salmon Wars, Douglas France, along with Bob Chamberlain, chair of the First Nation Wild Salmon Alliance in BC, and Neville Crabb of the Atlantic Salmon Federation. You can view the complete program on the Mi'kmaq Matters Facebook page. Alison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Hilary McGinnis is our researcher. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Amsonoma.